Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. So cool, so cool. I'm so excited. And now listen, maybe you came today and you said, well, I didn't really come for baby dedication. You know, I just want, you know, hear a message or sing a song. Listen, today's message is, although it's for uh, our babies, uh, the parents of our babies, it's also for our church family. This is for you as every individual. I want you to know that God wants you to engage in what he's doing in these families. I want you to know that you have a part. You see, you live a life, and in your life, someone is watching your life. And it's important that you seize the day, carpe diem, that you take advantage of every moment. You see, every moment that you live, every decision that you make as parents, but also as just Christians, as church family, it has a weighted value. It's significant in some way to someone. And it's important that we look at life that way. Now, uh, last week... I helped you see as we launched into this new series called Exodus on the Move because everything was on the move. 3,500 years ago, everything's all messed up and everything's moving. Culture's moving, policies are changing, families are struggling. It was just an upside down world. And 3,500 years ago, it's incredible to think it didn't look much different than it does today. Because when we turn on the news and we hear about the chaos and the calamity of the world, we begin to, to worry about this world that God lets us live in. And we, some of us, we really wonder, okay, Jesus, why have you not returned? And because it looks much like the day of Noah when God wiped out the world and saved a few, right? And so we wonder about that stuff. And, and, and there's a reason why. Because it's worth wondering about. And, and so even 3,500 years ago, God had a plan. A plan to rescue a family. A plan to save a nation. A plan to redeem brokenness. It was true then and it's true now. And just like God used people in those days, he doesn't do it all himself. He, he in, engages us in the game. He wants us to get off the bench into his kingdom agenda and, 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 and to be used by him for great and marvelous things. Things that matter. Things that count for all of eternity. And that's what we're going to see today. Last week, uh, we talked about the fact that everybody lives in a world where mistakes are just made. And you make mistakes. And parents, you will make mistakes. I am a parent and a grandparent and a husband and a Christian. I'm poster child for mistakes, okay? We just make mistakes. Now, let me just, let me just ring that in. Let me dial it in a little bit just to prove it, okay? Some of our mistakes are made uh, simply because we are ignorant, okay? That, that's why. We, we, ignorant meaning that we are uninformed, not like ignorant in terms of, you know, uneducated. We're just uninformed. And so we just make wrong decisions. Sometimes we make dis, uh, mistakes because we're just rebellious against what we know to be true and we choose to do otherwise. Uh, sometimes we make mistakes because in innocence, we just fail to think about what we're doing, okay? We just go through life and we just do what somebody has done to us and we, we don't even really think about whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Now, let me help you understand that today. Uh, sometimes when we want to put our baby to sleep, we sing them beautiful little cozy songs. One of those is this, rock a baby in a treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall, and down will come baby, cradle and all. Now, if somebody before you go to sleep tonight says, listen, tonight, after you go to sleep, you're going to fall out of a tree, you will not go to sleep. If the weatherman says there's a tornado coming or a class five hurricane, 
You ain't going to sleep. Yet we sing that to our babies. We just don't think about what we're doing. Not convinced? Let me share another one. We teach our children stories, just heartwarming, hopeful. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty together again. Isn't that encouraging for your child? There's a whole book of Bible stories, much better options to read. Still not convinced. We teach our children about helping others, about chivalry. Jack and Jill went up a hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down, broke his crown. Jill came tumbling after. Verse 2, up got Jack home did trot as fast as he could caper. He went to bed and bound his head with vinegar and brown paper. Jill still in in the weeds. I'm convinced many of the men I know went to the Jack and Jill school of chivalry of how to treat your wife, okay? Not convinced. Let's keep reading. We teach them about love and marriage and togetherness. Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a wife and couldn't keep her. He put her in a pumpkin shell and there he kept her very well. We're talking criminal minds, all right? And that's what we teach our children. And if you're still not convinced, you ready? Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub. Seriously. Seriously. That's a whole different series. Now, we sing those, we say those, we memorize those and teach them to our children. All right? Meanwhile, we act like a bunch of idiots that we haven't thought about anything. What are we teaching our children? You see, it matters that we think. It matters that we engage in something greater than what the world says is right for our families and our children. And I want you to know today, God has a plan. God has a plan for parents to raise their children. God has a plan for extended family, grandparents, and church family to reach into these families and invest what matters most to help our future To help these little boys and girls grow up to know that there's, no matter how bad this world gets, no matter how dark a season may seem, there's a God who's a good God. And he's above and beyond all the brokenness in this world. And we can teach them that God is reaching toward them. All they have to do is put their hand out and receive God's hand and experience what life can truly be, both now and for all of eternity. And so in this series, Exodus on the Move, we looked at it last week, a a 3,500-year-old book, and we met two heroes of the faith with cool names, midwives, Shifra, and Pua, all right? And they stood in the gap rescuing babies, right? They refused to kill the babies as Pharaoh had had commanded. Well, this week, we're going to go to chapter 2 of Exodus, and we're going to meet two more heroes, of the faith, a married couple who raised children. And we're going to learn some godly principles for parenting and how we as a church and extended family can come alongside the parents and help them in the journey. So what we're going to see today is two people who succeeded at the toughest job in the world. Sometimes people pretend like parenting is not difficult. If if you think parenting is easy, you got your head in the sand. And I want to encourage some of you. Some of y'all think, well, if I can just get somebody to take over the payments of my daughter, okay, I'll stop worrying about them. That's not true. If, If I can just get them through college, I won't worry about my kids anymore. That's not true. We, we will always worry about our children. And it's okay when it's a love kind of worry. 
At the same time, we're going to learn today how we can turn our children over and place them in the hands of God. Now listen, what we do sometimes is we pray, God, I want you to take this burden. God, I'm going to let it go. God, I hear what you're saying in your word. I'm turning it over. And before we even open our eyes from saying amen, we snatch in a little remnant to take with us. You know what I mean? I'm, ta- I'm going to take this little bit right here. Okay, I trust you with all that. I'm going to take this. No, this is a place for parents and for grandparents and church where we just turn it over to God and let God be God because he's much better at being God than we are. So on the back of your worship guide, as we look at Exodus chapter 2, this amazing little family that will teach us all something today. The title is called Qualifications for Godly Parenting. And You say, well, I'm not a parent. My children are gone. Once again, just you can help other people. Because when we said in Psalm 127 that the children are a gift from God, they're not just a gift to their parents. They're a gift to all of us. Children are amazing, okay? And, and if you can't look at a child and have some kind of a little spark of hope and joy in a child, you need to get saved or something. I mean, because they, they're amazing, all right? Now, let's look at this family. The first qualification to be a godly parent is the word faith, the word faith. Listen how it begins in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, and the first part of verse 2. It says, a man from the household of Levi, his name is Amram, just so you know. He married a woman who was a descendant of Levi. Her name is Jochebed. We have to read further to find that out. We're talking two people, Jewish people of the family of Levi, Amram and Jochebed. Okay, they get married. Verse 2, and the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son whose name will be Moses. You say, okay, what's that got to do with faith? How do we know they're people of faith? It's right there in the text. This is a Levite man marrying a Levite woman. A Levite, the Levites would ultimately become the priesthood of Israel, the family lineage of priest. It was in them to be faithful. Now, we, we learn something a little odd about their family dynamics. I, I guarantee it's odd. It, you'll think it's odd. Listen to what it says in Exodus 6.20. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed. He married Aunt Jochebed. You know that's a little sideways, okay? But it was a different culture. They lived much longer lives. It was a different, it was a different time. And relatives married relatives. And so he married his aunt, both of them, in the family of Levi. Now, she bore him Aaron and Moses. So here's what we find out. You ready? How do we know they're people of faith? One, because they're people in the tribe of Levi. They're going to be of the priestly nation. It's just who they are. They know God. They know about God. They can, they can recite scripture. I mean, they're in the game with God. But at the same time, we know they're people of faith because in a time when the Pharaoh has commanded and issued an edict that says, midwives, when a baby is born, you're to kill them. And when that doesn't happen, he says, okay, you don't want to do it this way. And your reason is because Hebrew women are fast on the draw, having babies. Then here's what we're going to do. All baby boys, throw them in the Nile. It'll be an offering to the God of the Nile. They'll either drown or be eaten by crocodiles. That's in the world. In the world where abortion at the will, after all, it's the king's right to choose. After all, this is an inconvenience because it's, it's threatening my kingdom. 
abortion of all the male Hebrew babies. This is the season when Amram and Jacobed would see the problems of the world as big, but the God of the world bigger, meaning the God who created the world. You see, they had faith in a God bigger than the circumstances of this world. Parents, listen to me. You're going to need that. You're going to need that sometimes. You're going to need it when your baby is one year old. When your baby's six months old and you take them to the hospital, you take them to the doctor because they're not breathing well or they're throwing up, you're really going to need them when they get in middle school. Whew. When the wheels fall off the bus in middle school, you're going to need them big. Okay, you're going to have to have some faith. Now, now we learn that this isn't the only child. And it mentions Moses and Aaron, but they also had a daughter. They may have had more, but there's three that are recorded. I'm just going to mention them, and we'll talk about, talk about them a little bit more later. Here's the three children. Miriam, she's the, the daughter. She's the oldest. And then along comes the dreaded middle child, Aaron, of which I am one. And then the third, the baby boy, the spoiled one, would be baby Moses. Okay? That's their three children. And they brought these three children into a world that is absolutely upside down because they trusted God more than they trusted the things that they see in this world. This is powerfully important because there's times in this world, man, when we turn on the news or, or when we hear of situations, when we realize the age of innocence has just eroded away into nothingness, there's things that you and I experienced when maybe we were a sophomore in high school, junior in high school, that they're experiencing and hearing and learning of when they're in elementary school and kindergarten. And it's nauseating. I mean, it's just like a punch to the gut. Meanwhile, God is like, still here, still on my throne. I still got this if you'll give it to me. And so that's what Amram and Jacobed did. They got faith. Now, to understand the faith they have, it's important that we understand faith generally. So what is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, I'll paraphrase. Uh, faith is believing things are so, even when they don't seem like they are so, just because God said they are so. That's faith. Read 11, Hebrews 11.1. 1. In essence, that's what it says. It's just believing it because God said it was true, even when it doesn't look like it's true. Faith also, we learn in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith... It is impossible to please God. So you got to have it. Now you know what it is, and now you know you need to have it. Where do we get it? Hebrews 12, 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's where we go to to get it. There's an acronym I once saw for the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all I trust him. That's what it is, forsaking all. I trust him. That's what faith looks like in this journey called life. So here it is in the middle of this hopeless, helpless time. This little Hebrew family of five learn how to navigate through this world successfully. So we know we get it from Jesus, faith. We know it's required to please him, faith. We know what it is, faith. How can you start today building your faith? How do you get it? Scripture tells us in Romans 10, 17, it says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Some of your translations will write it this way, faith cometh by hearing and hearing cometh by the preached word of God. 
you need to have preaching in your life. And if you, if you, if you don't connect with this preacher, find one you connect with. Now, don't find one that's just going to tickle your ears and tell you that living a life in rebellion is good. But find a preacher who preaches the word and invest your life in learning from that. Not only that, you can preach to yourself. You get into God's word. You prayerfully say, God, I'm opening your word. I want your Holy Spirit to enlighten me, prepare my heart to receive it, and learn God's word. In it, faith will rise up and develop within you. A place, something not, not superficial or artificial, but something that's real and tangible, that you just walk in. That, man, when you get the bad news, when things happen, it just, oh, you say, okay, God's still on his throne. You know, I, I remember I've shared this before when Kendra was diagnosed with cancer. It was a beautiful picture. Very proud of her in that moment. It was a beautiful picture of faith. The doctor said, Kendra, I hate to tell you, but your colon, she was in her 30s and said, your colon looks like a 65-year-old colon. And she had li- she's healthy. She had lived a good life. And you have cancer, and we're going to have to remove part of your colon. And everyone forget, she goes, okay. And he goes, did you understand what I said? And she said, you said that I have a 65-year-old colon, and you're going to have to take the cancer out of my colon. And he said, yeah, but you're not acting like, like most people act when I tell them that. And she, she careered it. She said, I have a big God, and he's going to take care of me. And he's allowed this for some reason. And I'm like, go, girl. It's my girl. Okay. So we left that room to go to another doctor. We're walking down the hall, and she just lost it. Like those other people, oh, she just collapsed. And I'm like, what happened to my other girl? You know, where'd she go? And, and it just hit her, okay? Now, in, in that one scenario, she revealed two options to the same scenario. One is an option of faith. And don't get me wrong, the other was an option of brokenness. Sometimes faith includes brokenness. I want you to know that. Sometimes big faith comes with big tears. I want you to know that. I'm not playing like if you got good faith, oh, it's, everything's a cookie-eating contest, okay? No, big faith sometimes includes big tears. So we learn from this family that they have big faith because they needed big faith to give birth to children in this terrible world. Number two, on your life, God, foresight. These parents had foresight for their children. Now, by definition, foresight is the ability to predict what needs to happen for the future. Okay, so they see this baby and they see the world and they're like, oh, we got big faith. What do we do now? We're going to look into the life of our baby through the lens of God's uh, vantage point, and we're going to dream big, look big, plan big, and help them accomplish God's big idea for their life. And so in verse, the second part of 2B, listen to what it says, just a, just a little bit. It says, so when she, Jacobed, saw that he, Moses, was a healthy child, she hid him for three months. Oh, no, okay. Now, what is it? where do you get foresight from that? Where do you get a need for, to have a long-term vision for your child from this simple verse? It's found in one word. It says, when she saw that Moses was a healthy child. Your translation may say, she saw Moses was beautiful. Your translation may say, she saw that this baby was favored. Okay, when she looked at her baby, she looked at more than just a baby. She looked at this as something God had given her. And don't get me wrong, any mama in her right mind looks at her baby and says, man, he sure is beautiful. That's my baby. She sure is beautiful. And candidly, let me just be honest. I visit the hospital a lot when they have babies. Newborn babies, man, some of them are absolutely beautiful. 
Some of them, that's not the first word I think of. Some of them had a hard way of it. Man, they get stuck in the canal. They're sticking ice tongs up in there, grabbing them by the eyelid or whatever and pulling them out. And they get out and look like they've been to Vietnam. Got a cone head, Rocky Balboa, got an eye swollen, lip swole up, you know, like a bad fight. And you know what the mama says? They're beautiful. You know what I say? Yeah. I ain't going to argue with a mama, right? And so it's only right that parents see your babies as beautiful. I'm telling you the truth. No matter, because babies come in all different packages, right? When Macon right there was born, Kelsey went, her water broke a month early, right? I'm terrible at timeline, about a month early. And then he spent a month, about a month in the NICU, two weeks. That's about a month. <laughs> you think, you go visit the NICU every day. Two weeks seems like two, a month, okay? And he was a little bitty guy, five pounds-ish. Yeah, got one right, multiple choice, all right? He was, he was about this big, little bitty baby, okay? He was a little bitty package. And meanwhile, sometimes I'll go visit the hospital, and they got sumo baby, weighs almost 10 pounds. Looks like he should be in kindergarten compared to the rest, okay? Some of them big, some of them small, variety of colors, complexions. I mean, all kinds of variety, and they're all a package designed by God. Now, if you look at this baby now, he is not a preemie now, okay? He's a meat eater, Okay? All these babies come in different packages. And when Scripture records what Yaakovet saw, she said this baby in the Hebrew is Taub, T-O-W-B. You know what that means? When she saw her baby, and parents, this is how you're supposed to see your baby. Grandparents, this is how you see your grandchildren. Church, this is how you see all the babies and children that God entrusts us with as a church family. She said, whoo, he's Taub. He's beautiful, he's healthy, he's got the hand of God on him, he's unique and different and wonderfully made. That's what she thought, and it's right. My mom is here today, and she gave birth to four babies, four of us, all of us guys, and I'm the smallest one, okay? And, uh, and, and I'm sure there's days when she looked at me, she did not think favored, beautiful, goodly, okay? She might have thought healthy because I like to eat, but Every day of our lives, we look at our children, even on the hardest days, and that we're to see them as favored and wonderfully made as image bearers of God. Isn't it cool? And sometimes we have to remind ourselves to have that particular perspective about our children. Now, so here's the question. What's Moses? Was he favored? Was he wonderfully made? Was he different? Was he special? Yeah, listen to this. Moses would become the most prominent Old Testament character referred to in the New Testament. That's kind of cool. Moses would transcend religious lines and become the number one most prominent prophetic character in all of the Islamic Quran. Was he favored? Yeah, he was. Was he fearfully and wonderfully made? Yes, he was. Did God have his hand on him? Yes, he did. Not only that, in Acts chapter 7, it tells us what God thought of Moses. Did you know that? Acts chapter 7, verse 20, at that time Moses was born and he was beautiful to God. You know you, you, you know you to man when God says, man, that guy's beautiful, right? That's a good-looking kid when God says that, right? Now, here it is. You ready? The same thing's true 
about your babies. The same thing's true, listen to me, about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are created in the image of a most high God. You are the apple of God's affection. When God looks at you, he says, that person is beautiful. How do I know? Are you ready? Because God, in his love for you and these babies, wrapped himself in skin, came to this earth only to die a brutal death on a cross, to demonstrate his love for you, to rescue you from your sinful condition, to adopt you into his forever family, and to spend eternity with you. Come, ain't nobody else done that for you. He's a good God, and he loves you, and he looked at this baby, and that's how he sees human life. He sees them through the lens of love and grace and mercy and redemption, and it's okay for you to view your children that way because that's the way God views you. Now, here's what they did. As parents of foresight, of planning for the future, they wanted to do for their children, guess what? The same thing you want to do. They want their children to live in a perfect bubble world. No harm, no hurt, no foul. They want them to live in a world where they're, they're removed and, sh- and, and sheltered and hedged from all of the evil of the world. A world that absolutely hates them because the world hates God and anything God loves. And so what did they do? They began to make plans. They, they wanted their, their, chil- their, their children to be healthy. They wanted their children to be provided for. They wanted their children to be uh, uh, to be given an education. They wanted their children to, to be prepared for life. But listen to me, of all that they wanted to give their children, the greatest thing they wanted to give their children was a relationship with a huge God who loved them more than they possibly ever could, who would be with them when they couldn't be with them themselves. And that's what we're to do as parents. We're to show them that, hey, if I'm not around, you've got a God who's bigger than we are. I remember my mom, I've shared this before, go out on a Friday night or a Saturday night, and she'd say, hey, don't be doing anything you wouldn't want to be caught doing if Jesus came back tonight. Thanks for spoiling a good weekend. And the truth is, that's right. We, 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 her, she was saying, God's watching. You've got a big God out there. He loves you, and he's watching you. Don't. Don't mess it up, right? And that's the way Amram and Jacobed were with their children. They wanted to teach them something that would last forever, even in their absence. And so they needed to be parents of faith. They needed to be parents of foresight. They needed to help them know a bigger God. But listen, you can be a parent who has a lot of faith, You can be a parent who thinks big for your children, has foresight, make plans for their future. But there's more to it than that. We've got to be parents of functionality. You see, this is not a que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. God is big. I'm going to go to church some, and he's going to make everything work out in the end. No. You and I as parents and grandparents in church, we have work to do. We're to have skin in the game. We don't just walk away, share some encouraging words along the way and wash our hands. No, we got work to do. And I want you to look at the work required from this faithful, foresightful young mother whose name was Jacobed. 
in, in chapter 2 of Exodus. It says in verse 3, but when she was no longer able to hide him. Why was she not able to hide him? Seriously. Babies stink sometimes. Babies cry sometimes. Babies move. It, it, you can't hide a baby, and she knew it. So what did she do? She implemented function in her life, godly function. She took a papyrus basket for him. Interesting thought. The word in the Hebrew for the papyrus basket is only found one other time in all of Scripture, and it is Noah's ark. She took this little ark and put him in it. It says, she sealed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it. She set it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile. Verse 4, his sister... Now she's about five. His five-year-old sister, Miriam, stationed herself at a distance. She's getting the family in the game. It's a family thing, right? He goes on and says, to find out what would happen to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself by the Nile. While her attendants were walking alongside the river, she saw the, the basket among the reeds. She sent one of the, her attendants. She took it, opened it, and saw the child, a boy, crying. And she felt compassion for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Pause. Now, why did she know immediately she, that he's a Hebrew? Their complexion was about the same. Okay. Why would she know that he's a Hebrew? Because at day number eight in his little life, he would have been circumcised. He would have been different than the baby boys in Egypt. Keep reading. It says, then Moses' sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get a nursing woman for you from the Hebrews? So that she may nurse the child. This is a five-year-old. She's coming in big. It says Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yeah, yeah, do that. Because she couldn't breastfeed the baby. She hadn't had a child. So the young girl, Miriam, went out and got the child's mother. <laughs> what a cool plan. I'll see if I can find one. Oh, just so happens, his mama. Okay? It says Pharaoh's daughter said to her, hey, take this child, nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. So the woman, Jacobed, took the child, which would be Moses, and she nursed him. So they got it. They got it. She did what it took. You see, there's a place in our life, parents. There's a place in our life, grandparents. There's a place in our life, church, where we say, God, I trust you big because you're a big God worthy of my trust. And I want you to do what only you can do. But in the interim, I want you to point out through Scripture what it is you would have me to do. I want you to tell me via your Holy Spirit, guide me in how I'm supposed to live my life. I'll do my part in its insignificance, God. And as I do my part, I'm trusting you big to do what only you can do. You see, God does all of the great work, but God intends to use you in his great work. That's kind of cool. I'm not sure why God chose to do it that way, but I like it. Uh, to know that, that the God of everything, the one who spoke everything into existence out of nothing at all, he chooses to engage us in his kingdom agenda. That's just kind of cool. And that's what he does for us as parents. And you say, well, sounds kind of worky to me, Pastor. I thought we're people of grace. I thought we're saved by grace through faith, and that's it. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, per scripture alone. I thought that's who we are. I'm not talking about your spiritual salvation I'm talking about salvation physically, living in a world that has fallen. God has a work for you to do. You see, in James 2, 17, it says, Faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. 
And someone will say, oh, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, faith is not walking away and doing nothing. Faith is saying, God, you're bigger than anything, and I want you to help me know what part you want me to play in this equation. I don't want to do any more, and I sure don't want to do any less, but I want to do what it is you've called me to do. And I want to tell you, parents, grandparents, and church, sometimes that's a tall order. Sometimes there's a lot riding in the balance of what we're to do. And so we're to find what that thing is, and we're to jump in and do it. And so we see faith, foresight, functionality. I want to show you finally, number four, the qualification for godly parenting, fearlessness. This is good. If you're a parent or you have ever been a parent, maybe a grandparent, and sometimes you've been a little bit afraid because of the scenario that you're looking at, would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's what it looks like. Sometimes it comes in two hands, that's right. Sometimes it comes in big, all right? It's in those moments that we've got to rely on what we've developed in our life through faith and through foresight and through functionality, man, where it just brings it all together. And we say, well, this is a little creepy. I'm a little set back right here. This is hard. But I got a big God. And faith can't survive where fear thrives. And so I'm going to stomp out the darkness of fear I'm going to hang on to a, a God who has no fear, who fear cannot touch him. He's never afraid, never been afraid, never will be afraid. And that's our God. So here's what we find. It says in verse 10, when the child grew older, Jacobed brought Moses to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she would name him Moses, saying, because I drew him from the water. I want you to just pause for just a second. I want you to put yourself in these shoes, in these sandals, okay? You got a beautiful little Hebrew family, man. Mom and dad, they're living for God. They're living under oppression, but they're rising above it. And they give birth to this beautiful little girl named Miriam. And now she's about seven, maybe. And number two son is Aaron, and he's about five. And they're in this game together, man. They're doing life together with God. And then they give birth to this other little baby in a hard time where they're murdering the babies, little baby Moses. And now they've been together for maybe two years. Maybe she fed him, nursed him for two years. Could have been a little longer, could have been a little shorter. We'll say two years. Think about if you've ever been a part of a family that had siblings, how much a little family grows together in love in just a couple of years. I mean, to a place where I've got a seven-year-old grandson, I got a four-year-old granddaughter, I got a two-year-old grandson, and I got a little baby boy right here. I would literally, not figuratively or meta, whatever, metaphorically, I would die to rescue them. It's ridiculous how much you can love somebody else. Here's this little family, and all of it, they see it as a faith gift from God. Like we got, look at all these people. Look how much they hate the world, and we got our little family. And then the day came, and she took her little boy to the daughter of the man who wanted him murdered. 
and said, here's my little boy. It makes my skin crawl. That much fearlessness connected to that much love, right? And she said, here he is. He's yours. She would take that little boy back and adopt him as her own. She didn't know, Jacobed, Amram, Miriam, and Aaron, they didn't know exactly how this would play out. But they knew the God who knows how everything plays out. And in fearlessness, they let him go. I'm telling you, that's a heavy story, a heavy moment. How did it turn out? Like God makes things turn out. Moses would be educated in historically what's called the greatest, most educated society that's ever walked on the planet. They built pyramids. We don't even know how they built them. You know what I'm saying? They were, this is where he would be educated. He would be educated in math, science, astronomy, engineering, construction, medicine. He, he would be ready. He would be prepared for something right? He would live there for 40 years, equipped in combat, battle, and war, and brilliance, all because she trusted God in fearlessness. Acts chapter 7, verse 22, says this about Moses. It said, Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his words and deeds. She didn't know, but she knew God. Parents, grandparents, families, church. We don't know how things are going to turn out, but we know God. And God is a good God. And God loves you. And God is going to work everything out. And it may not look like what we thought it would look like. I don't know that Jacobed, in her wildest dreams, thought 40 years he's going to be over there living with the king. I won't have a major impact to invest God in his life, but she trusted God. All of this is summed up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. This whole scenario in one verse, it says, By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months because they saw that this child was tall but were beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So how did it all turn out? Did, did it work out for them? Three kids that are mentioned in Scripture. How did it work out? The oldest, Miriam. Last time we see her, she's five. And you spin the table forward, read Scripture, you find out that she is one of only nine prophetesses mentioned in the whole Old Testament. She was a songwriter, and she would lead the nation of Israel in worship as they departed from Egypt. Now, that one worked out pretty good. What about the middle child, the dreaded middle child, Aaron? How'd he work out? Aaron would become the spokesperson for Moses before Pharaoh and the first high priest of Israel. Well, so far they're doing pretty good. What about Moses? Moses would live there 40 years, leave because of a mistake, killing someone, spend 40 more years in the wilderness learning how to shepherd ignorant things because he would shepherd a nation of over two million into freedom. He would, he would lead them out of captivity 
He would write the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. He would be the most quoted author in the Old Testament. He would write the law, teach the law. He would be a hero of the faith through all generations. And his heart would land like this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. He regarded, Moses, regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for his eyes were fixed on the reward. Hold the phone. He regarded suffering for Christ. Christ doesn't show up for another 1,500 years. And, and he regarded that? How? <clears throat> because he believed that God was going to do what God said he would do. <clears throat> he was believing forward for the coming Messiah. He would, be, he would have a relationship with God through the coming Messiah. I truly believe, we're going to see it next week, okay? He meets the burning bush. I believe it's Jesus, a pre-incarnate Jesus speaking to him. And I'll, I'll help you know why. He believed in Jesus that would come. And here we are 2,000 years post-Jesus, and we believe in the Jesus who came. This whole story lands in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? What started as this little Hebrew couple in a world that's killing babies, faithfully giving their baby to God, lands at a place where faith is placed in the work of Christ. That is just so cool. And that is the hinge pin for it all. You will never be a godly parent. You will never be a godly grandparent. You will never be a godly encouragement to anybody apart from a relationship with God. And that only comes through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. It's a pretty amazing story what God has done. And those words that we use for this family, for parenting, faith and foresight, function and fearlessness, it's not just for parents. It is for us all. Maybe you're here today and it sounds amazing to think there's a God who really looks at you and says, wow, that person is beautiful to me. It's true. He demonstrated it through his sacrificial gift of Jesus, his son, on a cross. And on this day, you could receive that gift. You could be adopted into God's family simply by saying, God, I didn't really come here for that, but on this day I realize I'm separated from you. I want what Jesus did for me. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want Jesus to eradicate my sinful condition and make me a new creature. I want you to take me into your family forever. And help me live for you from this day and forever. And I'll give you praise. For the rest of us who have already done that, maybe we have a relationship with God through Jesus. This is a day where we just recommit ourselves <clears throat> to act like Amram and Jacobed. And we just give ourselves fully to him and invest our lives, not just in our own, but in others around us. 
maybe you're here today and you have family members and this would be a good day. You just say, you know what? I'd like to take my, my child, my student, take them by the hand, come to the altar. I just want to pray over them. I just want them to know how much I love them and how much they mean to me and how much they mean to the Lord. You could do that today. Maybe you have a brokenness in your family dynamic, a relationship with a child or a parent that's broken. Maybe you would come today and just simply bow at this altar and say, God, will you help me know what to do moving forward? Father, I thank you so much for this amazing book. And what a, a fun story. 3,500 years ago of where people just gave themselves to you and trusted you and let you do what only you can do. And in the end, everything worked out beautifully. I thank you, God, for these people that are here today, these families that are represented. I pray your blessings upon them, over them, and through them. I pray that you would uh, just shine in their heart, draw them close to you, challenge them to a new level in their journey with Jesus, God. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for all the good things that you do. We pray it in the mighty name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. God's people said, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.